Those of us who have been here for the whole year will know that we have been looking at the story of the whole Bible. We started way back in January, right at the beginning. We started with creation, how God made the world and all that was. We moved on to the catastrophe that happened. The world fell apart because of Adam and Eve. It wasn't just a crisis, it was a catastrophe that entered the world with sin. We moved on to see how God began to call a people back to himself, to make a way where it was possible for people to have relationship with him again. It was calling. And then we looked again at crisis, how the people that God had called failed to hear him. They failed to keep responding to him. And around and around and around in a circle they went, where crisis after crisis led the people of God away from him rather than towards him. That is the story of the Old Testament. The story of the New Testament is a little more encouraging. We spent weeks before Advent looking at Christ, who he is and why he came. Christ came so that there could be Christians. Without Christ, we as Christians could not exist. Christians are people who believe that Christ is who he says he is, that Christ gives us salvation, that Christ allows us to have relationship with God again. That is what makes us Christians. And because we are Christians, we celebrate together in church. Over the last few weeks, we have been looking at various letters that various people have sent to the early churches that existed. We might even call them communities or missional communities, the early groups of people who existed, who wanted to tell others about who God was. And then we will have eventually the conclusion to the story. Those of you who have been really excited all week because Simon said last week that today was going to be the conclusion of the whole Bible story. It was going to be all wrapped up. Well, it's not. (laughs) What we are going to do today instead is we're going to take a look at a different letter. We are going to take a look at what one other person said to the early church community that he was involved with. We're going to look at the book of James. I wonder what James was thinking as he wrote. It seems to me that James can be summed up in four words as well. It's not a very long book, and we are going to attempt to take a real overview of all of it this morning as we look at these four key words, that, which is the story of James. If there were four for the Old Testament and four for the New Testament, then there to be four for this book as well. We are going to look at how James speaks about confidence. He speaks about compassion. He speaks about control 
and he speaks about contrition. That means being sorry for the things that we have done which have offended our God. And we are going to have a little look at those as we work our way through. Paul writes tons. We have looked at a tiny little bit of the content of Paul's writing. Paul is the one who gives us so much Christian doctrine that we then spend hours and hours, maybe, pondering over. But James wrote a lot before Paul. He's one of the earliest writers that we have in the New Testament. James was actually it's thought anyway, the half-brother of Jesus. He led the church in Jerusalem. He was one of the first leaders. He was there when the Council of Jerusalem happened, which you might remember, which is the story of how Paul and Peter came to the people at Jerusalem and said, hey guys, we have got two different opinions. One wants to do this, one wants to do this, which is the right way that we should go. And James was there and he was helping that church to make a decision about what should happen between them. So James' letter comes from somewhere around AD 50. It's really early. And I think it acts as a kind of prologue, if you like, to what other writers were then about. They, they took some of these ideas and broadened them and told us a lot more about what he was meaning. I think summaries are really, really important. And if you like, you could see this book as a very simple summary of the content of the Christian faith. It was written to Jewish people who were scattered around the known Roman Empire at the time, people who were already Christians, people were, who were experiencing huge hardship already, even though Jesus has only been dead by this time for about 20 years, not very long, and yet things had already started to go so hugely wrong for them as they tried to explain to others about what Christianity meant. And so James writes, and he writes in this way to try and sum it all up for the people who are going to be hearing his case. He talks about these four words, and we're going to start with that one called confidence. You can read this book and you will not find that word, but I think that is what chapter one is all about. It is all about the confidence that we can have if we are Christians. Chapter one, verse three says, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Hmm, nothing much about confidence in there. One dictionary defines perseverance as continuing in a course of action without regard to discouragement, opposition, or previous failure. Keep on going on, keep on going on, whatever else has happened along the way. You can't be a Christian for very long without knowing that it is a hard choice to make. Being a Christian has lots to do in it that 
is really difficult for us to live. Jesus told a story to his disciples to try and explain that this is what Christians are like. He talked about how when he speaks his word, it goes into people's hearts and sometimes the people who hear it They respond really, really well, and they're all on fire for God, and everything is exciting. But weeds come up, things in their lives come, and they destroy the truth of what has been heard. Temptations come that way. Temptations change how people think, and those people lose their first hold on the word of God. For others, it's a bit like being in a drought. They just don't drink in enough from that word, and so they cannot flourish. Their growth is stunted. You can look at Matthew 13 to see what that is like. But this first chapter says, we are supposed to persevere. We are supposed to keep going, whatever doubts there are that come our way. Let me tell you just two really short stories to help us understand what this might mean. Natalie is a great friend. Natalie is about the same age as Dave. She's in her very, very early 50s. (laughs) Natalie is a vicar's wife. The vicar still runs a church in Norwich. We have known Natalie and Alan for about 15 years, and they are good friends. Seven years ago, Natalie had breast cancer. When it was discovered, she was one of the bravest women that I have met. She went through surgery and had a mastectomy. She had her lymph glands removed. And then she did what Natalie would always do. She became super fit. She was super fit before. A few years after her mastectomy, she entered a triathlon that was held around Norwich. And she did really well. And she was so pleased that it had happened. And then two years ago, she was in America on holiday And she had been free of her cancer for five years by this time. But two years ago, her hip was hurting. And her father said to Natalie, oh, just just go and check it out. Just go to the local hospital. So she did. And at the local hospital, they discovered that the cancer had now moved and that it was in her bones. And so she's had surgery again. She's had six inches removed from her spine. She's had three ribs taken away. We saw her two weeks ago. She is a fit woman. Maybe not physically, but she is so fit in her heart. She loves God. She has a church behind her who is supporting her. They are not saying... Smile, Natalie, it's all okay, because it's not. It is unlikely that Natalie will live that much longer. But her heart lives. She loves God, and that is what shines through in conversation with her. 
And that surely is what James is talking about. James is not saying it's easy, but James is saying, persevere. Seek what joy there is to be found in God, despite the circumstances of the life that you live in. That's what we need to be encouraging each other towards as well. Illness happens to so many of us. There are so many of us in our church who face it. There are also other traumas which we don't talk about so much because we don't put them on the prayer chain. Many of you will know that I have just had two years which I would describe as being quite simply the worst two years of my life. You have seen me stand here and cry. Those of you who have asked what I am doing with myself have seen me missed over more times than you can possibly imagine. It's not because I've been ill, I haven't been. But it's because I've been lost. I have not known what God has wanted me to do. And for me, that has been harder than being ill has ever been. So I have spent two years asking God to give me wisdom. Asking him to help me understand what the rest of my life is supposed to look like in front of him. And that's been rotten. It's been rotten because I have thought I have had the answer I have been for several not very nice interviews in this process. And some of you there will be able to identify exactly what I am saying. We seek God. We try and work out what is right before him. And sometimes it's just not. Sometimes the answer is not a positive one. Sometimes it is incredibly confusing. So what do we do then? What does perseverance look like then? Well, I think James gives us just a couple of pointers. He talks to us in verse 5 about seeking wisdom. And when we seek that wisdom, not doubting who God is in the midst of it. It's about keeping on praying even when there is silence. It's about believing that God has an answer for us even when we can't see it. It's about asking others to pray for us when we don't have the energy or the courage or the perseverance or the conviction to pray for ourselves. It's about being real and saying, I'm fed up of being tossed around. I'm fed up of not having the answer. Please, please pray for me. I believe that God has given Dave and I an answer now. I believe that God has brought me through this time for a purpose. 
I believe that together we have been able to hold on to eternal perspective in the middle of it, rather than only getting stuck on the earthly perspective. Sometimes God does not answer our prayers. I know we are supposed to say that he always does. But to be honest, sometimes God just doesn't. The theological explanation would be to say that we have to wait. I don't like that answer. I think sometimes there is silence. And I think that in the silence we learn a lot as well. And that we can then have new delight in him as we wait. So my encouragement in that would be just hang on. Hang on to God by the skin of your teeth. Hang on to him by the very tips of your fingers. But don't give up. Because if we do hang on, if we do persevere, then we will end up being triumphant. Then we will receive the crown of glory. Then we will get all that God has already provided for us. But if one person dares to say, all things work together for good, without a context, I might just hit you. Second word, compassion. This will be quicker. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. 2.26. I've been reading a book by Jennifer, Jennifer Reese Larkham recently where she writes this, which is all on the board for you. Compassion is different from sympathy or pity. Sympathy feels like Pity feels for, compassion feels with. Sympathy sucks us down into someone else's suffering and gets us so involved that we can easily drown in it with them. Pity looks on helplessly, but compassion feels and cares so greatly it remains sufficiently objective to do something to help. James talks most famously, I think, about this whole idea of faith and deeds. Holding them together and working them out in practice. Compassion is how we demonstrate our faith. It's as if the gospel is a bird. And on one wing of the bird, you have social action, which is the demonstration of our compassion. But on the other wing, and in order for the bird to be able to fly, you have the truth of the gospel. And they have to work together. Social action and gospel proclamation are what James is saying the early church needed to do. It is compassion that caused Jesus not to stay in heaven feeling pity for us, but to come to earth in order to do something about our circumstances and transform us. Two more stories. 
One of the great things that I get to do down in the University of Essex, where I now work with Friends International, more of which you can find out if you take any of those notices, is I get to meet international students from every culture that are in this world. E is somebody from Africa. She's a Nigerian Christian who has spent her life so far working with refugees. She has worked in Cambodia and Sudan and Ethiopia. She has studied the peace process and she is now doing a PhD in refugee care. She is an incredibly bright and extraordinarily frightening woman. E spends her life fighting for human rights, for justice, for the poor, for the lost, for the hungry, for the oppressed, for the dispossessed. She seeks to demonstrate Christ as she uses her hands, her skills, her considerable intellect in her extraordinarily poor places of work. E lives social action on a day-by-day hour-by-hour basis. That is what she does. On the other hand, I've also met Wendy. Wendy is Chinese. Her family religion would be Buddhism, although they're not really a particularly practicing family. Until she came to Essex University three months ago, Wendy had never knowingly met a Christian But she started coming along to a weekly cafe that we as Friends International host in Colchester. And because of meeting the Christians, she started to have a think about her whole process of thinking in life. A few weeks ago, five in fact, I had this conversation with Wendy. Wendy said, I know that Buddha can give good things to his people. I know that Buddha can make me rich. I know that Buddha can give me a good job. I have seen Buddha working in other people, but when Buddha works in those people and when Buddha does good things for those people, those people are still the same. Their hearts don't change. I am looking for something that will change my heart. They were her exact words. I am looking for something that will change my heart. Third word, control. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue. He he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. That's what it says in 126. There's a whole chapter about it in chapter 3. Well, what a great illustration. My biggest problem in life, it's myself. It's my tongue. If I had a pound, I mean it really seriously, if I had a pound, 
For every time I had said something that I wish I could take back, I'd be a millionaire. I really, really would. And if you live with me, you'll actually know that's not even exaggerating. And I do just so wish it was. But it's not. What can we do about it? How can we exercise control over ourselves when it's shown so clearly in this little book that we are actually rubbish at it? Well, James gives us four illustrations to help us. There's a lot of fours in this talk today. We can seek to live well in 122 Do not merely listen to the word. Do what it says. Matt has already talked this morning about what it means to be intentional and the difference that that can make to us as we are praying for things and as we are seeking to live. And James is basically saying here, be intentional about what you do with God's word. Take it seriously and act upon it. I used to know a friend who worked for a different Christian organization called the Navigators. And the Navigators have a lovely illustration which you could all take part with me in. If you take your Bibles, and if you just hold your Bibles in your hand like this, with your thumb at the bottom and your fingers at the top. The Navigators say, and I believe this to be true, the first way in which we engage with God's word is that we hear it. It's like your little finger which you can wriggle. The second way in which we engage with it is we can memorize it. That was certainly true for me at Sunday school. And maybe for you as well, we can memorize it. The third finger, we can study it. That can help it to get more and more into our hearts. We can... Oh, I've got done it in the wrong way. Hear, read, sorry, study, memorize. And the last one, the thumb that holds it all together, meditate on it. If we only read it, if you try to use one finger to hold God's Bible, you will not succeed. It cannot work. You cannot keep that Bible in your hands. We need to use them together. Hear it. Read it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it, take it seriously in order for it to really impact you. And then James says, what about looking in a mirror? What do you do when you do that? You look in a mirror in 123, but if you forget immediately what you look like, there's no point in that at all. Look into it and then do something about it. We had a classic moment in our house the other day. Dave, Dave's a grown-up. Dave gets himself dressed all by himself in the mornings. The other day, Dave was about to go out through the door, and he became really cross. And he looked at me directly, and he said, Linda, why didn't you tell me my hair was such a mess? I actually said, well, I didn't notice, but that wasn't helpful. What I actually thought was, Dave, there's a mirror in our bedroom. Dave, there's two. In fact, a big one and a little one. Dave, there's a mirror in the bathroom. Dave, there's a mirror in the other bathroom. Dave, there's a mirror actually in the lounge. There's a mirror in the dining room. There are lots of mirrors in our house. Dave, all you've got to do is look in the mirror and you can put yourself right 
You can sort yourself out. The mirror that we have is God's word. We can look at it. We can't put ourselves right. The illustration falls down. But we can certainly ask for God's help to put us right and to help us put his word into action. And we can use our minds to think about it. Chapter 3 is talking all about wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God and how different that is from the wisdom that comes from the world. Please don't switch off your brains when you come to church. Please don't switch off your brains and your minds when you think about Christian things. God has given us minds and the ability to think so that we can discern where our ideas come from, so that we can work out if they are from him or not. And then the final illustration in chapter 5 is the corporate one. We are in this together. And that leads us on to contrition, our last point of the morning. Contrition It had to be that because it was a C word. But what it really means is being humble before God. It means being really sorry for who we are when we walk away from him. And James talks about this when he talks about us being humble before the Lord in order for him to lift us up in 4 verse 10. And then about our motives, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble in 4.6. It's as if opposites are out to prevail in this. In 4.7, James simply says, submit yourselves to God. Submission is such an alien concept in the Western world. We do not want to be seen to be less than one another. We do not want to admit our weaknesses. We do not want to say, you are better at this than I am. Please help me with it. And yet chapter 5 is saying exactly that. It says that we are to help one another in verses 19 and 20. I wonder how different this church could look If we came in on Sunday mornings and actually said to each other, do you know, I have had such a rubbish week. I have done so badly this week at living as a Christian. I've rowed with my husbands. I've rowed with my children. I've rowed with my wife would be just as equal. I have not done what pleases God. Could you pray with me about that? Would we dare to say that? Would we dare to help one another? Would we dare to take James seriously where he says, if you see a brother in sin and you turn them around, then that would be a great thing for you. Do we do that? Would we ever be prepared to do that? Maybe that's where a small missional community of four families with 13 children in age range 4 to 18 might work. Maybe there it is a safe enough place to actually say, 
Matt and Joe, I've cocked up. This week has been rubbish. Because it's hard to say that to you lot. It's hard to say that in front of a hundred people or more. But it's true for us all. I really believe that we are all the same. I really believe that God wants to use us all. And I would be delighted if you would pray that God would be pleased to use me. I would be delighted if you would pray that God would make me better. That God would make me more fit for his service. That God would give me a more pleasant tongue. That God would give me a more active mind. That God would give me a more resilient spirit that kept on going when I feel tired. Please pray for me. And I would love to pray for you too. There is information on the side if you would like to find out any more about the work that Dave and I are actually engaged in on a day-to-day basis. I know that is a privilege that Christian workers can have that others don't. But let's use the social network that we've got up on our board as we think about other people in our work settings as well. Let's be constant in our prayers for each other. And let's stand together so that we can all be confident people, confident in who our God is, compassionate people for the world around us that we live in, controlled people because we base our lives on God's word, and contrite people because we are sad for who we are when God is not at work in us. Amen.